Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. guacamole cj that was an incredible intro man there we go there we go excellent did you do that intro you made that happen yeah absolutely that was a surprise wow okay that was that was really cool (laughs) Cool. i I enjoyed it very much so welcome welcome it's the rogue news roundtable i am uh, v the gorilla and we have of course uh matthew errett CJ's here working the airwaves, and we have a very special guest, Martin Seif. Martin, you're the first time here on Rogue News. Welcome. We're the original geopolitical, geostrategic, geoeconomic uh, news channel that was on the internet. I'm not on the internet, but on YouTube. Welcome. It's a pleasure having you on. Please introduce yourself to the audience so that we can uh, familiarize ourselves with you. Thank you. Well, I'm a very veteran Washington, D.C. newsman. I was with the Washington Times and then United Press International for 23 years and have been with other outfits since then as well. I'm originally Irish from from Northern Ireland, and I've been almost nowhere in the Southern Hemisphere and virtually everywhere in the Northern Hemisphere. I've covered stories in Russia, the Middle East, China, uh, Japan, India, Southeast Asia. You can name a few other places, too. So I have been around a lot. I covered the collapse of communism. I covered the new world disorder, which is more disordered than anything I grew up with in the 1960s and 1970s. And I've seen a lot. Wow. That's incredible. I'm glad you said new world disordered. I was wondering where I got the terminology from, and now I can attribute <laughs> that to you. I said it before me. Yeah, uh, it, it, you know, I think you 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 framed it perfectly. And I, I always said this to a lot of my of our audience. It says, "Don't worry what the Western oligarchs have planned for you. Worry about what they're breaking in the process, because yes. that's what these guys are." That is such a central issue. You're absolutely right, because most conspiracy theories imagine that most conspiracies are all of them, of course, yeah. uh, when they're real, and many are real, go like clockwork. And it is not like that. We have a world of 7.5 billion human beings. And the biggest reason we actually need transparency and accountability is not because secret plans work 
perfectly, but because they go off the rails and they never really work at all. And there is always uh, what, I mean, my dear friend Matt and I, Lockhorns, and this is in many other issues all the time, I'm an admirer of Karl Popper. I know you are not, bless you, Matt. But uh, Popper rightly points out the law of unexpected, unintended consequences, which actually goes back to the basic of physics. It goes back to the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, which, of course, being an Irishman, we got it first. It's Murphy's <laughs> law. Right. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And then, of course, there is the less known O'Brien's expansion of Murphy's law. And that is, O'Brien says, Murphy was an optimist. So we are in a chaotic <laughs> world. <laughs> and the more these self-complied geniuses like the neocons and the Davis crowd and the rest of it come up with their own instant solutions for everything and still worship Keynes mindlessly, the more they try to impose a single solution on everything, the worse it gets. Exactly correct. And this is actually in basic physics. It's in the warp and woof woof of the way the universe works. Very well said. It's incredible. Martin, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here, and, and what a delight it is. You, you've covered a lot of things. What is your take on the current crop of events that are happening? Matthew and I, we, we get together so many times, we talk about and we narrate basically the collapse of the third world. And when I say third world, I'm not talking about you know the West. I'm not talking about the third world. I'm talking about us because we've been living off the rent check that the dollar has been providing us as world reserve currency for so many yes. decades. And now the chickens have come home to roost. Where do you see these events unraveling, especially what's taking place in Eurasia and in China and, 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 the, and the lunatics that are in the West? Go for it, man. I mean, Martin. <laughs> I don't have an answer for you because there are so many answers for you and you know them already. My, I'm quite of an age, as anyone who's looking at me can see. And I was very pessimistic in my 20s in the 1970s because the world seemed to be going to hell in a handbasket. Mm. Afterwards, at least if you were in the prosperous Anglo-American West and Western European West, from the 1980s onwards, things cheered up. We had Bruce Springsteen. We had uh, culture was more more optimistic. Lots of terrible things were happening around the world. But yeah. you could, if you were in America or Britain or parts of Western Europe, you could pretend they weren't. And then we had the collapse of communism, and there was a brief moment of optimism. I worked for a genius at that time, the late Arno de Borgrave, who was for more than 30 years chief foreign correspondent of Newsweek magazine before he ran the Washington Times. And Arno was quite literally ahead of everyone, all of us, in predicting that heaven on earth was not going to come in 1990 or 1991 when communism went down in across Eurasia. He said things are going to be worse rather than better. And he sent me to all the places where things were getting worse rather than better. So I didn't have to be prescient. I had my nose rubbed in it by seeing what was happening across Russia, across the Middle East. And we also see across large areas of sub-Saharan Africa as well, increasingly over the decades. But even so, uh, 
We then made things much worse. Our global war on terror was an unlimited catastrophe. I still regard George W. Bush as by far and away the most catastrophic and stupid and destructive of all American presidents. So much of what's happening negatively, even to this day, is what he locked us into from NATO expansion provoking Russia to the east to this insane global war on terror, GWOT, which if you pronounce it, it's G. What? <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, I would like to, uh, to convince you guys at Rogue Radio, bless you, uh, to join me in a crusade to get people to call it what it is. It was G what? Because the dumb jerk didn't even know what he was doing. And even the so called geniuses like Cheney and Wolfowitz, who pulled his strings, thought they knew what they were doing and, of course, didn't really know what they were doing. So they made things far worse, even from their own point of view. They thought they were taking over the oil of Iraq forever, which was insanely megalomaniac and stupid, but they really believed it. I've met most of these guys. I've been in the room with most of them. They wouldn't remember me from being there. I would be a flyer on a wall with 20 or 200 other people. But when you're in the room with these people, you pick up their vibes. You pick up their curly and auras. You see their body language. It's important. I'm an old-fashioned humanist reporter with roots in the renaissance which is if we're human beings we are the measure of all things as individual human beings and there is no substitute for going places and seeing things and something matters about at least one probably two generations younger than me but philosophically we found we're exactly on the same ground uh we distrust the same abstract william jennings bryan Uh, a somewhat bizarre and antiquated figure in American political history, but in many respects a more attractive man than he's made out to be. Uh, He said famously, one shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of gold. Mm. Uh, 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 Today we see the human race, seven and a half billion people plus, crucified on what Fyodor Dostoevsky called the uh, tyranny of advanced ideas. Mm. You know, the tyranny of advanced ideas. The world is flat. No, it isn't. Free trade increases prosperity. No, it doesn't. It increases chaos, global organized crime, and poverty all across the world. Correct. Free trade raises the, uh, the living standards of most human beings. No, it depresses them. It doesn't close the gap between rich and poor. It carves it wide open. Everything you see in the mainstream media is a lie and is the opposite of reality. And because the so-called intellectuals read this, and George Orwell predicted this in 1984, it is not ordinary working people around the world or in Britain or America or Japan or Russia or anywhere else who fall for this poisonous nonsense. It is the intellectuals. It is the people with two or three degrees after the name who read the New York Times every day or the London Times or the Guardian and take it all seriously, which is Mm. why what you guys do is so important. Because uh, truth is being snuffed out. A guy who I have a guilty pleasure for, because he was a fascist, he wasn't a racist, but he wasn't uh, he, he wasn't anti-black or anti-Jewish or anything like that. He was actually admirable in these issues, but he was a power-hungry demagogue in his day. But he was also very entertaining, and he was brilliant, even a genius. And that was the American 1930s politician Huey P. Long, governor and senator from Louisiana. And Huey was asked in the mid-1930s when he was challenging President Roosevelt for the presidency, would have been a catastrophe for America and the country and the world had he won. But 
he ended up being killed, not by a conspiracy, uh, something I can even go into because I was privileged to get information on this 30 years ago. It's a fascinating story by the, in, uh, the drunken incompetence of his own guards. Yeah. He shot an innocent man by mistake and shot him mortally while they were riddling the innocent doctor with 40 bullets at the time. If you're going to have guards, you ha they, ha they have to be loyal to you, but they also have to be sober and they have to be competent which President Kennedy's guards, by the way, were certainly not a, in, on the streets of Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. I digress as usual. But <laughs> what Huey P. Long was asked, can fascism come to America? Can it take over the United States of America? And he, of course, was the most likely candidate to be fascist dictator at the times. He was the best expert you could have on this. What was his reply? He said, sure it can. Mm, very well. Only it'll be called anti-fascism. Right. And this is what we see in America since 9-11 and the Patriot Act. We see fascism being system slowly but systematically imposed on the American people and on the entire West in the name of anti-fascism. The American people are being enslaved in the name of of protecting them and freeing them and protecting their freedoms and the very acts supposedly to protect their freedoms are eroding those very freedoms very well said matt i mean matt martin very well said joaquin flores joaquin flores is here hey. joaquin, welcome hey can you hear me am i coming in good You're yes superb superb yeah we were just talking about uh you know martin's take on what's going on in eurasia and all the things and, and joaquin since you're already out there What's the latest? What's happening? What are you feeling? What are you sensing out there and seeing for yourself? Well, here uh, in former Yugoslavia, in uh, Serbia, Belgrade, there's um, the European Union's sanctions on itself. Hmm. Um, they've applied to Serbia because of the transit of, uh, of oil. And so now, you know, Serbia is experiencing some of the very bad consequences of the European sanctions, despite not being in the European Union. So um, there's some sense, you know, I don't I don't know the, the legal argument exactly being made uh, at the level of uh, Serbia and uh, and supranational, you know, uh, legis uh, litigation. But there's a sense that there's something unjust something that can't be legal about that. We know, we remember like what happened uh, with uh, Kaliningrad and, you know, threatening to cut them off and the Euro applying the European sanctions to a country, Russia, that's not in the European Union effectively for transit. And this is transit in this case of oil, right? Not to a European Union country, uh, but by applying their own sanctions, you know, so it creates this destabilizing scenario here that um where we are now experiencing and um you know uh it's it's very serious and uh more broadly it's it's there's a lot of concerns about the potential for some type of uh you know attack with uh unconventional <laughs> weapons let's say and um and those concerns uh look very real unbelievable Matthew, Matthew, Eric, what's your take on, on everything? No, I mean, uh, what, what the previous two gentlemen uh, said, I, I, I very much share. Um, <clears throat> we are in a situation right now where we, we are doubling down on suicide, it seems like. That is the strategy that has been deployed to try to combat a non-existent threat. I mean, Russia has only exhibited goodwill for the past 20 years, as much as China, in its desire to work with us, to find common ground, to make 
billions of dollars of profits opening up the uh, the vast reserves of natural resources in the Arctic. And Putin has made accolades again and again to Bush, to Cheney, to Obama. Trump was much more respe- receptive to these things, but that didn't last very long. You know, uh, the Canadian government has received so many offers from their Russian counterparts to simply... Uh, stop acting belligerently and disrespectfully and start looking out for our own interests, of which there are so many. We share this giant Arctic territory, you know, with China. It's the biggest growth um, dynamic in the world. And, uh, and you know, China has offered the West many opportunities to work with the Belt and Road Initiative, um, building projects in Asia, in Africa, even um Chinese representatives at different times have even said since 2015, well, how about we convert some of the U.S. dollar reserves that we're just sitting onto that are worthless? I mean, it's trillions of dollars that are worthless and just turn them into some development credits to back the growth of some infrastructure in North America. And in every situation up until this point, we have not only turned a blind eye, but or a blind. Yeah, turned a blind eye. But we've, we've spat in their face and, and actually started saber rattling to this agenda that has nothing to do with the welfare of the people. The, I mean, the, the, the financier oligarchy, like Marty said, are operating on a very strict script that they doubled down on and got really arrogant, <clears throat> believing this was like the end of history. And I'm talking like 1991, 92. They were like, we're here. We won. It's over. And it's just now a matter of tying up the loose ends to this new world order. And, and then we can get on with our uh, long-awaited dream of finally doing what we failed to do in 1944-45. We, we failed it earlier in 1933. We failed it when the League of Nations was brought online. And the League of Nations covenant was supposed to immediately replace the system of sovereign nation states. Um, we failed it, you know, when we failed to break Lincoln, break the Union, because of the, the special... U.S. Russian at the time, even some Canadian uh, powerful statesmen had a had a much higher and and more creative idea of, of how to do do battle, at, you know, in the 1860s, and they broke the the agenda to, you know, undo the American Revolution. So th- this financier oligarchy has been at it for a long time, trying and setting into motion processes that blow up in their faces every single time. It's not like, you know, it's it, it should it people should wonder why it was that the city of London, Wall Street backed, you know, fascist machine of Adolf Hitler. Why did that? Why did that fail to be the successful new world order as it was intended to be? When Roosevelt was saying some people talk about a new world order, but let me just tell you, it's not new and it's not order. It failed uh, again and again. So now they're thinking, you know, here we are. We finally got it all figured out. And uh, the reality is most of the world's population and their representatives will have are not going along or not playing ball. And so, you know, in Canada, we, we've got um, laws that have been passed that are saying now that it's legal to confiscate Russian assets in Canada in order to nominally pay for the, Ru- the, the Ukrainian uh, reconstruction, which I think is really just a slight... It's what a bit a of a lie. You know, Christy yeah. Freeland, when she passed this bill C-19 in, uh, in July of this year... She said reconstruction, but I think it was just to pay for more weapons into the hands of exposable um, Ukrainians. They're, they're now doing the same thing in the U.S., in the European Union. They're saying, you know, we're we're finally going to we, we don't intend to freeze Russian assets. We intend to confiscate them. So that that's a new thing. 
but they're also saying Ursula Vanderling, I, I think it was, was also saying, and, and Joaquin made a post on this that that was a good observation that uh, we have to, <laughs> we have to only now change the laws to make it legal for us to do what we've been doing, which is like, you're kind of admitting that <laughs> you're, what you've just done has been illegal the whole time. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's a lot of insanity. You got to have a good sense of humor in a sense to, to look at this yeah. stuff. Martin, the UK recently got a new prime minister. Uh, I don't know how long Rishi Sunak is going to last. Your thoughts on that and your thoughts on the American midterms, which are steamrolling ahead. What do you think is going to happen? What's your take on the outcome here? And how is this going to further destabilize the global situation? Well, as Matt and I think Joachim well know, and as you can already see, you ask me to give one word, I'll give 10,000. <laughs> so I'll try and give quick answers to both and we can follow on from them. I wish Rishi Sunak well, very well, and I don't mind him being a multi-multi-millionaire in the international banking system because at least he's competent within that system. But I think he's off to a very negative start, which, of course, Matt would say there's no surprise there. First, the ban on fracking, which is a crowd pleaser because the British have been brainwashed to be anti-industrial environmentalists insanely. To, and they're even more vulnerable to this than anybody in Canada or the United States. Is. And look, you have 70 million people in Britain, real population, and they can only grow enough food even under the best. So they need an advanced industrial growth economy. Those figures, by the way, come from the Oxford Project on Sustainable Development. They're not, I didn't make them up. I didn't have to. They're very easily confirmable. And so to retard industrial development and financial stability in Britain, I think, uh, Martin, your uh, internet's frozen. Lose you? Martin, yeah, you there? Yeah, it froze for a moment. I'll Joaquin, why don't, we, why don't we uh, go to you, Joaquin, in the meantime. What's your take on Sunak and what's happening in, in the UK and the impending less than two weeks away U.S. midterms? Yeah, well, Martin makes a very important point. It's good to see you, by the way, Martin, if you hear me. Um, that is precisely an agenda, uh, as he said, aimed at uh, the further deindustrialization of uh, the UK. Um, it is a part of trying to transform uh, the UK um, into um, a military uh, zone um, of the of the A5 uh, system or the uh, of the uh, city of London uh, system that uses the US military. So um, this kind of uh, imperial system um, is not uh, is not new, but I, I think that as we see now uh, on the ground in in the conflict in Ukraine or former Ukraine, uh, they have a lot of limitations to what they're able to project in terms of power, right? So, um, but absolutely this is connected to the Great Reset, deindustrialization, um, but it's, it, there's a strategic significance in the UK um, because the in many scenarios um, wherein there's a military conflict between uh, the 
uh, UK and continental Europe, which is another very strong possibility in the very near future, based upon um, any number of uh, ways of looking at outcomes. Okay. In that scenario, um, the okay, UK guys, I'm back. I'm doing it on a different line on my phone this time, so hopefully this should work better. Heaven knows why. The, uh, the, hold uh, up, hold up, hold up, buddy. Knocked out all our connectivity in the house. My wife and daughter are cursing in the background. <laughs> no worries. Uh, Joaquin was just finishing up, then we'll go right back to you, Martin. Go ahead, Joaquin. That's fine. <clears throat> Fantastic. I'm glad to have you back. Um, so, um, anyhow... Uh, in the case, in, in that case, uh, the UK would you would not it would be uh, very quickly absorbed or or occupied or or leveled by any kind of European or Eurasian power uh, in that event. So um, if if there's going to be any reindustrialization among A5 countries, it would probably be in the United States, just even based upon that trajectory. I mean, there's there's even good trajectories that include reindustrialization in the United States, but um, that would be a bad outcome involving maybe reindustrialization of the United States as well. I agree. Oh, now, now, now you're, you're on mute. V. We're yeah. Just, oh yeah. You know what, oh, Martin, during know. the time, during the time that you were cut off, I was actually sure. following up on your point about the deindustrialization of the UK actually. So that's, that's actually where we were was the policies of deindustrialization. Oh, no, exactly right. And of course, we are back here again with a combination of issues. We have green romanticism, which is never uh, based on either uh, history, the economics of genuine rising living standards, which have occurred since the Industrial Revolution, or the basic issues of physics, chemistry, biology, and most of all, on uh, energy within both closed and open systems that is necessary to sustain larger complex populations. And when you go into these issues, if you deindustrialize, as we all know, and I think I've all taught and maintained in our different uh, platforms and audiences, then you are condemning hundreds, if not billions of human beings to hardship and death. So this is, these are real, genuine moral issues in the most fundamental humanistic way. Yeah. Very well said. Matthew, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, this is the, the most important lesson, especially for the younger generation, I would say, like under 50 at this point, um, who have been through a lot of very intense propaganda to um, hypnotize, to, to cast certain deep spells that, that go beyond even the logical domain and into the subconscious, um, which is where a lot of the, 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 the deeper causality of our judgments and of values reside. Um, and I, I know myself, when, when I was younger, I would look at... Um, occasionally when I, when I would happen to see a factory, not that, not that we have that many factories still in Montreal, they're mostly hollowed out, you know, uh, <laughs> former factories that have been gentrified and turned into condos. But when occasionally I would see a factory that would have a little smokestack, I remember feeling like a guttural sense of disgust, um, in my, in my teens and my twenties. Um, why, why was that? Did I think about the industrial processes that, that go on behind my, uh, my consumption of cornflakes, you know, that <laughs> no, not at all. I didn't, I, I really had a very naive as most younger people do. And even older people, frankly, I, idea of what causes my food to show up in my grocery store. It was, it was a bit of a mystical 
uh, magic. You know, you go to the store and you get your food. <laughs> you know, you go to Walmart, you get whatever you need. And and uh, and so there was a complete. I was educated to be ignorant of the causal underlying dynamics of what brings in, what transforms raw materials into useful goods. What moves the raw materials? How do you extract it? How do you how do you use it into something a bit more refined? How do you then move it and turn a raw material like timber into furniture through you know machinery, machine tools, machines that make machines that then can move it into another location where it can be purchased? All all of those. These should be like elementary lessons of life for kids, even in elementary school, to get them to appreciate the interconnected web um, of creativity and of life right, that, that, that sustains life. And instead, we're just given um, propaganda-based, laced, pseudoscientific uh, brainwashing sessions week after week after week with, you know, I remember my, my little cousins uh, were being shown Al Gore's crap fake science video that, that he got an Academy Award for from in 2002 or something in their school, teaching you that you're a virus, that every time we have industrial progress, it's just us killing nature. You know, there's no, and so you look at the smokestack and you're like, yeah, that, that is us burning the earth. We are, we are destroying everything when we allow industrial activity. And so, you know, you get these idiot kids today who, again, I, I don't want to say, I shouldn't say idiot because they're, they don't, they, it's not like they could have known anything more based upon the types of school uh, teachers that they have who are actually radicalizing them into young, like wannabe Greta's or, or little eco-terrorists who are, you know, they think it's a great thing to splatter paint on, uh, on old, on, on Van Gogh's. Not that I'm a big Van Gogh fan, but still, like, I mean, the idea of spray, you know, we've all seen the videos of them throwing paint on these things, then super gluing their hands to the museum walls. Yeah. The just, just oil. Uh, uh, what's it called? Just stop oil, or just something? stop oil. That's who it is, and, and nobody asks where the, the funding is extremely opaque, and that is the reason why we should really look and consider that who the heck these people are. You know, it, it's not a coincidence who these, you know, that them extinction rebellion and all that. Go ahead, Matthew. No, yeah, no, no, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, 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 we're, we were talking about how the how the, the name of fascism is going to come about as an anti-fascist banner. Yes, um, exactly. And I mean, you know, you got little, there's literally the name of Antifa, right? These anti-fascists who are running around in like black masks and beating up people for having divergent opinions from them and actually killing dozens in riots just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And these are the anti-fascists of today. I'm sorry. We have to reevaluate <laughs> what our definitions are at this point. Is, is Martin's, is Martin's other camera? Yes, I'm, I'm, I can hear you loud and clear. We, but we're also, we can see your camera's working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's because I'm cheating, which is the best way to get on in the world in general. I'm using my phone rather than my online system, which has uh, which shorted off before. Not a problem. Uh, if you want, d d does your phone have a speakerphone feature, Matt, uh, Martin? Uh, yes, it does. Hang on. Yeah, activate that. There you go. Now, now you don't have to. Now you can hear us without putting the camera inside of you. <laughs> yes. No. No. I, I can hear you fine. Yeah. You guys are fine too, as long as you can hear me. We could see that. We could see that you can hear us fine. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. And again, I fully agree with everything you've all just said. And, you know, I wish I didn't because I find on these issues again and again, and I'm sure you all do too, one makes new and admirable friends, which at my age is not a small thing, but that's the good side. The bad side is what we all agree 100% on is so depressing. And I wish we could disagree with each other more forcibly because then there would be more hope in the world at least some of us could see but we all see the same uh, light at the end of the tunnel and the light is the express train running towards the whole human race unfortunately very well said uh, Joaquin uh, we're seeing moves on uh, in the United States we've had uh, what was the last count right now see 28 food processing plants that have mysteriously caught on fire right <laughs> Yes. yes, there we, we are. Have, Go on. We have issues with uh, um, uh, uh, rail. Rail's becoming a problem. We have about uh, 20 some odd days left of diesel fuel left. And so, Joaquin, I- I'd like to know if, you- if you've been tracking that because I know on your uh, Telegram, Joaquin, you've been posting a lot of this information. Uh, what is your opinion? Are we facing some sort of asymmetric warfare against the population and what is your opinion on that? Yeah, very good question. Uh, you know, with the uh, war against food supply, um, what we should expect moving forward um, is a continued rise in the price uh, of food, such to the extent that there will be um, uh, larger amounts of people that will go further into debt and ultimately, let's say, lose their homes, et cetera, as the price of uh, food rises. This is going to create a lot of social uh, disturbance, but these social disturbances can be also be weaponized. So the United States has a very large, you know, permanent unemployed army, a large army of the unemployed that always has a, a, a depression that always works against uh, the, the rise of wages, always has a depressing effect on, on wages. And altogether, of course, um, there's multiple ways that the US oligarchs can, can wing that. Um, I think the project is overall pretty frail, um, while nevertheless, um, there's certainly no doubt, you know, at this time um, that there is a war on food supply. But I think that people who can see it coming, okay? And, and mind you, mind you, okay? There are um, people with millions, even tens of millions, even hundreds of millions of dollars, okay? Um, that can look at the present problems in food creation uh, supply lines, right? And can invest now in um, localized food supply solutions, um, and we'll be able to, uh, it, it will be able to, to make, a, stabilize a new type of very high food price, okay? But that's, it's not gonna be able to bring uh, food prices down, okay? So this is gonna uh, result in a further, like I said, debt crisis, but it's also, there's gonna be a fertile soil for, pub, for uprisings, but these, this public can be weaponized in a, as we talked about anti-fascist direction, which in, in, in the QEP long dictionary means fascist direction, 
And uh, so it's a very interesting, you know, sort of a furthering of these same uh, insurgency, these fake astroturf social movement, co-opting the grievances, which the same people behind the social movement, like the contrived version of it, are the same people behind the collapse. So they're actually trying to create a sort of a, um, a, a problem uh, that, that wherein the solution is their actual agenda. And um, I think the fact that this has gone on unchecked uh, in the United States means that there are uh, a dangerous lack of national or sovereign forces that for too long have had control uh, over the uh, national security apparatus. Uh, so that's my general take on it. But uh, I think that people are able now to invest in these in new alternatives and localized methods um, and to prepare and also to be preparing. We're talking about collectives um, and you can also uh, start to avoid um, some of the issues uh, where what you want to do is be in a fight for the right to um, have farms within county lines. Um, but that's a fight that can be had at the county level or the state level. So again, uh, all politics is local. Food supply will also be local. Absolutely. Matthew, um, what is your uh, opinion on the matter? Why why is it seeming like the Western elites are breaking us, Matthew? Well, I, I mean, <clears throat> I think um, I think that there's certain insecurities that they that the Western elites so called I hate calling them that, eh? but we're gonna find a new word. Um, sociopathic. Let's call them the obsolete elites because they're obsolete. Yeah, <laughs> the obsoletes. That's funny. That's, yeah, the Western That's the word. That's the word. You got the word. That's good. There you go. All right. Um, that yeah, there, there are certain insecurities they're unwilling to deal with, and and among the top of those is the fact that the entire edifice upon which they justify their existence is premised around a certain set of definitions or ideas of what they believe human beings must be in order for their their system to so-called work not that it's ever really worked um and for them to justify their existence as the the uber mention you know the 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 more than humans that have the the golden souls because of their genetic stock and the the idea content that they've subscribed to uh, they thus have um a, a greater access to the real dark truth underpinning all of reality that gives them the sole authorization to, you know, uh, control the levers of, of supply, demand, production, consumption, who, what types of babies with what types of genetic attributes are born and which, which types are, are not permitted in the new age of, of you know, so-called unnatural, well, unnatural selection. Um, as as we hear from people like Yuval Harari and these other other neo Darwinian you know um, transhumanist freaks, they they really do believe that they have this godlike authority and and so again it's all premised on a certain set of ideas of what human beings as these Hobbesian creatures are that can only if you give us freedom all we can do is you know selfishly just 
just look out for number one, fight with our neighbors on a macro level. That means, you know, if you let nation states make their own decisions, they can only fight with their neighbors over diminishing uh, resources of whatever, whatever, you know, they want to fight over. If you, if you have different cultural groups, you know, Muslim and Sikh and Hindu and Jew and Christian, all like sort of allowed to just be, they will only go to war in clashes of civilizations. That's all they can do. And thus, and thus, you know, you need a, a Leviathan, some sort of a Kantian, you know, uber uh, transnational transhuman system that that maintains order. And uh, again, the, the problem is it's a very Pygmalion effect when you look into because, you know, the, the oligarchy might say, but, you know, of course, we're right. Look at all of the situations where we have given people freedom. Look at globalization. That was like freedom for everybody. And look at the disaster we created, um, you know. Look, just look, we, of course we can't allow freedom. Of course we need some form of new, you know, great reset system where people don't own things anymore and somehow they'll eat bugs and be happy. Um, but, you know, what, what people are not often given is the fact that the same people making those arguments, looking at the case studies of all the disasters of human history and crusades and every, other things, th th that those same forces were the ones who were lighting the fires, sparking the wars, creating the assassinations, you know, um, promoting debauched forms of artwork and, and things that would inflame the passions and aesthetic sensibilities of, uh, of human beings to, to fall more out of whack with their higher divine character. So it's like, you've got this artificial, again, Pygmalion effect, right? They, they've created a disastrous situation and said, it is, it is not the arsonists who are to blame for the fires in the, in the village. It's the fire itself, which is to blame. And so if we're, if we all just ban fire, we'll be okay. We won't have the problem of fires anymore. You know, they won't hurt people and we'll be somehow in this sublime bliss of, of harmony with nature. And that, you know, means industrial activity, food production, other things. But again, the, the old, that is not human nature. Human nature has demonstrated something very much, much different from what the oligarchy would have us believe. Are. And I think, again, it, it creates a certain insecurity, the fact that human beings, and I, I think we see that increasingly, especially in Eurasia, um, statecraft that actually doesn't want to sacrifice their people. They want to create abundance. They want to overcome limits to growth, which are pre always pressing on our potential all the time. There's always limits based on the the the, la the fact that we won't know everything or have, you know, technology to solve all problems all at once. That takes time. Um, but so we actually have a big chunk of the world's leadership right now that are committed to not going for this mass kill. And the oligarchy is, again, just very insecure. And uh, they're doubling down on everything they possibly can to try to create scarcity. Awesome. Gentlemen, quick question for you all. Uh, in your opinion, what is the end game in regards to NATO, the West, with Ukraine? What, what, what level are they going to be willing to push this to? Uh, we'll start with V, and then we'll go around the horn. Wow. Um. <clears throat> You know, when you look at Ukraine, right, you're looking at a very, and I've said this so many times, you're looking at a very well-funded military, right? You're talking about, I mean, the type of men, material, logistics supports, we know that it is America that is providing the telemetry, it is America that is providing the, the targeting, it is America that is providing the weaponry. And with all of that, okay, if Ukraine were to go to war against, let's just say, Germany, they'd win against the Germans. If they went to war against the Poles, they'd win against Poland. They're getting massacred in Russia. 
the Mothers of the Soldiers Association, which is the organization that is tracking a lot of the soldiers' deaths because these are mothers who cannot get a hold of their sons anymore. And some of the data that they've garnered from the front lines, they're putting up the death toll of 389,000 plus. Okay, it's a big, big problem. The problem also is, I, I believe, and I said this before, the Western camps are divided into two into two rows. There, there's a sliver who have some sort of brain cells, but the, the brain cells that they do possess is so criminal in nature that they understand that they're not going to win, but they're going to milk the situation for what it's worth because, after all, we're fighting ever, the Russians to the last Ukrainian. It has nothing to do with us. We're separated by two oceans. We're safe. That is one criminal element of it. What can we proffer? profit? What can we profit from the deals from Raytheon? Raytheon just supplied them a new uh, surface-to-air missile system based on the AIM-120 RAM, uh, AMRAM, right? And um, they're, they want to place more of those in there. And these are, you know, second-rate weapon systems to be at best. And they're not only are, are, are giving or, or, or being involved in the profiteering of these weapons contracts, but also the stock trades that go in conjunction with those defense contractors. So it's, they're, they're making money both ways, okay? But when you get to the think tank aspect of it, this is where you have a criminal element, but not really a criminal element, but an idiotic element. An absolute lunatic, ridiculous idiots who are, who are consumed on their own hubris, who live within their own echo chamber, chambers. And in these morons who believe that they can literally win a war, these are the morons who say, hey, you know what? Nuclear war ain't so bad. These are the ones who say, hey, nuclear, uh, a nuclear fallout could be good for climate change. And those idiots are the other aspect of it. And they believe in this anti-humanist dystopia that they espouse, right? So the end game is, is this. The end game is the criminal investor class is going to make out like a bandit. But the lunatic think tank class is going to go down in flames and the, and, and the Western criminals are not going to win at all. Martin, go ahead. I agree. Uh, Martin, Matthew. Uh, Martin, uh, Martin, you want to add anything to that? Yes, well, first of all, I fully agree with V's analysis. And again, I wish I did not because it is so depressing and apparently simplistic. But of course, he's right on target. And the one thing I'll add is that there is a, re a secular religious fanaticism driving all of these people. And that is what Leo Tolstoy, the great novelist, called the theology of the green stick. He said, Tolstoy said there was a Russian folktale that somewhere in the great forests of Russia, there is a magical green stick. And if you find it, you can put all of Pandora's troubles back in the box and the human race will be happy forever and sin will be abolished. Just a simple little green stick. And these people believe that unlimited democracy, their way with them in charge, of course, it's not democracy at all, because only they decide what the policies will be and what the outcome of all these free and fair elections will be. But democracy, their way, according to them, will bring instant happiness for the human race.
And like the communists and the Nazis and the crusaders and so many others before them, they believe that since they alone have the secret to human happiness, they are justified in doing anything to bring the rest of us who survive to it. Doesn't matter how many people suffer, doesn't matter how many people you kill. So if you ask them, do you want to destroy the human race in thermonuclear war? Oh, no, of course not. But perhaps limited nuclear war is an acceptable price to pay. And, of course, that's where they go, one step after another. They are the gathering swine jumping off the edge of the cliff. Agreed, 100%. And, there, and, and everybody on this panel, we all know there's no such thing as a limited nuclear uh, 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 war or limited use of, of nuclear weapons. There's nothing limited about it. Matthew, exactly. Well, I like to hear Joaquin's. Uh, I'm sorry, Joaquin, go ahead. There was a question. Was there? Yeah. A what are your thoughts on the what? What are your thoughts on the West uh, in game with Ukraine, uh, Joaquin? Oh yeah. Um, so the real course of action uh, that the United States right now thinks that it can pursue is to create um, a, a Polish army and to in, uh, go in with much more NATO equipment with a Polish army um, and maybe attack either uh, Belarus or to send uh, that force into um, Karistin or Zaporizhia. So maybe into the uh, into the uh, eastern, more eastern and southern parts of Ukraine. So all of those are you know potential crises, and we have this whole dirty bomb scenario uh, that the Russians have alleged uh, that the um, Ukrainians are are actually planning. So they have not accused the the United States. They have not accused um, of NATO. That's very important distinction. I don't know what um, you guys make of that, but in my opinion, it indicates that so long as Russia plays, mirrors the same game that the collective West is playing, that Ukraine is not occupied, that it is a sovereign state, then they'll continue to negotiate any potential outcome, you know, uh, negotiated solution or, or a version of, of a nuclear crisis or, or to blame them for all these things, right? They blame them, the, the Russians blamed Ukraine for the murder of Daria Dugin. They blamed the Ukrainians for the blowing up of the Crimea Bridge. They blamed the Ukrainians for the, the attacks on the Zaporizhia power plant. They blamed the Ukrainians for all of these things, which they know on an operational level are being done by um, bad players out of the Pentagon. So you see, you see what I'm saying. So we have a problem. We have kind of a problem here. So, um, but Russia knows this, but at the same time, since they have such a tremendous advantage, if the collective West wants to pretend that they, they can't negotiate on behalf of Ukraine, then they will continue to, you know, grow, uh, acquire more territory uh, in Ukraine. Now it looks like there will be a, a push, uh, well, it could be any number of directions, but it definitely looks like Nikolaev is in their, in their sights now. Mm-hmm. Matthew, go for it. Your thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, 
I'm obviously concerned, as, as I think everybody is, about the the Russians who have raised, rightfully so, the alarm of, of a false flag. It's something that I think a lot of people have been looking at, and, and we already sort of know that the the um, the role that these 40 million poor souls in Ukraine have been assigned to play is sort of as a human um, suicide bomb, and, and so many of them, unfortunately, have embraced that um, that task. Um, due to various forms of propaganda, conditioning, what have you. I, I mean, there's things I don't fully understand how you can wire so many people to to blindly jump to their uh, their 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 suicide like lemmings. But I mean, the, the thing with the the oligarchy is is that they have certain assets that they use, either individuals or whole people. Um, and when those assets sometimes fail to to uh, succeed at one type of task. And I think that, you know, there was supposed to be by this time in, in the game, a very different outcome. And I think the Russian economy was expected to be much more crippled um, and subdued by this point through the sanctions, and other forms of economic warfare by certain geopolitical planners of the West who were overseeing um, the Ukraine operation. Russia has, has turned out to be um, a very different creature than what they realized and has found new alliances, new supply, uh, new new consumers from India, even Saudi Arabia, China, big time, many other nations uh, to per, to fill in for the lost output that they're not selling to Europe anymore. Um, the the ruble is, is doing very well compared to the, the, the collapse of the, the Western currencies. And... Um, and I think, you know, just like we've seen with people like Berezovsky or, you know, idiot Skripal and his poor daughter at certain times when their when their roles fail to manifest the way they were expected to originally as Berezovsky had a certain role to play in the 1990s and, and beyond when that couldn't work. Sometimes they uh, they're more useful dead than alive. Um and, and I think, again, that can apply to a whole people, too, um, such that, you know, how many people have been led to believe that Russia, that Putin over, uh, you know, called out the hit on Berezovsky or, or, or Skripal, and it was all the big bad Putinites and, and uh, you know, neo-KGBists who uh, just wanted to just kill their enemies. Um, the reality and, and all of the evidence has pointed to this is that these were inside job MK, you know, uh, MI6 um, hits that had nothing to do with, with like Russia didn't care if these people were alive or dead, you know, it's not, it, it was, they were irrelevant. So yeah, I think the danger of a dirty bomb as, uh, as the Russian representatives, various high level representatives have all made the point is a very serious concern. Um, you know, we, we saw what the Western obsoletes were, were willing to do to their own people in nine 11 with, we saw what they were willing to do with the anthrax attacks Again, just inside jobs that had nothing to do with the official narrative, but all to justify certain political effects, both externally outside of the United States, as well as internally in terms of shock therapy for the people in, in creating situations of increased surveillance, domestic terror, um, protocols, other things that we're currently seeing. Um, and, and I mean, you know, we had not that long ago, I think it was Sullivan or was it... Um, uh, Tony Blinken, I forget who, one of the two had just said like last week that, uh, the, the January 6th event, uh, is, is far worse than anything we saw with September the 11th. Correct. I, I, I think, I think it was, um, um, Sullivan. 
it was Sullivan, right? I believe so. Yeah, I mean, that's how these people are thinking. I think we're sort of overdue in some ways. Uh, I hate saying that for uh, another form of uh, something a little bit more 9-11-y, um, maybe involving radioactive material. I don't know. But I mean, it's it seems like the oligarchy is desperate. And it, when you're dealing with a desperate, wounded animal, um, it could do a lot of crazy, desperate things that could hurt a lot of people, whether in Ukraine or in the West or both. Eh, it's danger. Martin, what are some of the dangers that you're seeing over the horizon, um, especially as we're entering a new year and this year is being closed out? Hold on a moment. There are so many. First of all, uh, global economic meltdown is perfectly feasible. Further collapses in the supply chain. The most grievous threat we face without question is the Russians feeling provoked into a nuclear response or an attack against the West. We are dangerously close to third world war over Ukraine. We can still pull back from it, but our own elites do not wish to. The no. Shoot, his internet locked up. Damn. Okay, we got to figure that out. Yep. Uh. Uh, Joaquin, go for it. Yeah, well, you know, the, the threat of a nuclear war at this particular time is higher than it's been ever in my lifetime. I think that um, people should recognize that and understand exactly what that means, because without that recognition, we are in a spiral towards a never ending conflict, which will definitely result in the end of life as we know it on the planet. There's no other way around it. Uh, that There's just no other way around it. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Do we, have a, do, we do, do we lose Martin? Yeah. Yeah, his his internet uh, crashed, but um, look, yeah, well, just, look, I'll just say, but, I'll just say, look, I mean, I mean, it, this can't. I just right now, the United States has refused to acknowledge, of course, this this uh, allegation that Russia has made about the dirty bomb, right? Yeah, but but this dirty bomb could necessitate a response from some country in the region, not necessarily as a NATO action, but a NATO country. So after that, you might have Poland try to just, you know, attack or declare war on Belarus or something like this or or do something to get another 50 or 80,000 Polish soldiers, maybe through these uh, alternate means, you know, but this is a crisis, you see. And, and it's not just it's not just blaming Russians and testing their uh, you know response if, if they're going to respond in a nuclear way to a nuclear provocation or, or, or what you see that that's not, it's also how um, the collective West uh, is going to then act like that's Russia's move. And then what's their move in response to that thing. So it's not a provocation. It's not a provocation. And it is a provocation in the sense that Russia in reality would have to respond, but how the collective West frames this is not a provocation they frame it as an assault. So in other words, they do two actions, right? So if the first action is the, 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 the um, dirty bomb, right? Then what's the second action that, that, that they justify based upon the dirty bomb? You, you follow what I'm saying? Um, and I'm greatly concerned about 
the sort of even conventional response, um, perhaps for the civilians of Warsaw and absolutely for civilians in Kiev that might suffer consequences if, if they're not alerted by their leaders to leave in time or they don't make provisions. This could create a humanitarian crisis because of all of the military targets, the actual legitimate military targets where the um, U.S. command um, of a lot of these affairs, military affairs in Ukraine is taking place um, out of the NATO base in Poland. So Poland and um, Belarus right now, it, it's the most this is, we are beyond the, this is sort of beyond Cuban missile crisis level catastrophe, you see, because we have a very similar nuclear standoff, but it's confounded by the fact that one side of the standoff refuses to acknowledge that they're engaged in one, and that side that refuses to acknowledge that they're engaged in a nuclear standoff also has someone like Biden, who is Biden, and not someone <laughs> like Ray Kennedy, you see. And so we're not navigating out of this crisis equipped with the caliber of leadership, which had previously characterized that in the United States only right. several generations ago. This is significant of the absolute decline that we've uh, been in. And uh, this is really only precipitated the crisis, of course, but absolutely that's the case, yeah. I, I got a question, Joaquin. Um, with, with the current um, elections coming up uh, right now <clears throat> in the United States, do you see a potential shift somehow in the overarching foreign policy, at least on the, on the war with Russia front, uh, with that new dominance of Republicans in the, the Senate and the House? It's a very, very That's a very, very good question. Um, I and uh, after I want to just give a quick answer, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off uh, with you guys. So I want to thank you guys for inviting me yeah. on here. And this hour, this hour has been fantastic, um, and uh, uh, appreciate the platform. VJ is always great to be on on your show. Absolutely, um, um, Matt. I think that this crisis is is now um, at a point where. Um, the United States, fortunately, by not acknowledging their involvement, can also not, you know, engage in the plan or they can tap on their Ukrainian, you know, friends that Russia alleges is, are doing it and tell them to stand down. So if the event does not occur, then I would just take that as a de facto acknowledgement on the part of who leads NATO um, that... Um, that, that they indeed got the message. So I would not look at the posturing, but going into the election, uh, one of the, the big problems is that there's a tremendous sense of burnout and among a lot of um, anti-war voters who happen to now be among uh, adjacent to conservatives, they're not exactly conservatives, but they're voters that joined the Trump movement around MAGA. Yeah. And um, I, I think that, and they're very anti-war and very populist, very pro-jobs, um, and very anti-China for that reason as well. So um, they don't have some abstract, you know, Sinophilia and love the, the Taiwanese as the, as the true Chinese or something like that. They just don't, <laughs> like, they just don't like losing their jobs, man, like, any, like anybody, right? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's the thing that can happen in life. People, you know, men have, have families to lead, and they kill themselves sometimes even when, you know, they can't do that stuff. So, you know, it's... Uh, 
Um, that And that was not acknowledged by the Democrats. But I think that what they're really relying on is this machine that they've built and the sort of Stacey Abramization of the um, political machinery where they can, in the name of a truly just cause, by the way, which is uh, voter disenfranchisement of African-Americans, exactly. in particular in the Deep South, by manipulating that, they've been able to basically create a machine out of voters who are not um, part of a Democrat, let's say, um, funnel like labor or the American Association of Retired People or whatever the different, you know, big, you know, the big uh, funnels of Democrat support from voters who just receive mailers and be like, okay, what is, you know, what does my union say or what does the uh, AARP say or what is my whatever the whatever you're involved in, uh, the Rotarians, the whatever, the veterans, of, you know, organization you're in or whatever, right? People vote like this. So um, uh, this crisis with the Stacey Abrams type machine, um, in which involves, um, you know, is going to involve, again, significant donations from people like Zuckerberg and others. We haven't right. seen any legislation or moves to think that it wouldn't happen. And we, and we see more and more of loudmouth Abrams everywhere you and look on TV and the news right now. I mean, they're featuring her, which is a very big signal that they're planning to use her antics um, to commit basically collective vote fraud. And it's, already in in of, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's already happening in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. It's already happening in Pennsylvania. Yeah, absolutely right. It's happening in Pennsylvania, but it's it's ashamedly in the name of of of, of empowering disenfranchised uh, African American voters. Um, and uh, yeah, I got a frozen camera. I don't know if my audio is out. No, no, your audio is coming in clear. I think uh, you just yeah. deactivated your camera. Okay. Yeah, there good. Yeah, all right. Um, anyhow, so, um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, <clears throat> I'll just finish in, in this 30 seconds uh, again and just say that um, um, without those problems solved and without and the demoralization of the voters on top of the their ability to just do what they want with the outcome, um, the fact that, um, you know, Team Biden or the guy that speaks into Biden's earpiece, rather, uh, to the extent that they're able to to activate some kind of program pro program of, of realistic response uh, is highly questionable. But they may be planning on trying to um, simply uh, ignore the majority vote, which is anti-war from both the left and the populist MAGA. The, 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 the grassroots left is against war with, um, with Russia. The grassroots left is not, you know, the, the sort of whatever, the, the, the Hillary Clinton left or anything, or the right. Obama left, right? So it's a very big uh, question, and, and, uh, and I don't see good outcomes because the Democrats also showed um, their own proclivity to steal uh, primary outcomes from anti-war Democrats, leading to um, basically uh, uh, the defanging and and shamefaced uh, whatever antics from uh, Bernie, uh, you know, I didn't do it, Sanders, and then or you've got um, you know more interestingly, you know, the Tulsi Gabbard case. But that's you know that's what I'm looking at right now. Um, again, guys, thanks for for having me on. Thank you, Joaquin. Again, folks, you can follow Joaquin on tw on Telegram. Uh, we'll have his uh, his link posted so you can join his amazing room. Joaquin, thank you so much. Pleasure having you on. Matthew, I know you got to go very soon. Uh, we'll go to Matthew Eric, then we'll close out with uh, Martin Seif. So, uh, Matthew, go ahead. 
Is is Marty there? I, I yeah, Marty's here. Hope so. Oh, can yeah, you hear me, guys? Marty. Yes. Good. Excellent. Go ahead. Uh, first, Matthew, and then Martin. Go ahead, Matthew. Um. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I would. I would just say. You know, we we are in in crunch time here, and and everything Joaquin just said is is very very important. You know, I I I am heartened by the fact that there are so many people who are ap- like normal citizens, not establishment hacks, who are um, looking to take some serious positions of power across the United States. Um, obviously, there's there's always the issue of of a lack of of top down appreciation for the historic forces or geopolitical global forces as they are actually being arranged um, that are causing your problems. So a lot of people, you know, uh, from the, the better Republicans who are actually, I think, able to uh, put the brakes on or at least turn, you know, resist this, this nuclear an- annihilation policy, they, de- they do tend to think that China is their big, their big supervillain enemy, number one of the world. And they don't see the, the more subtle, real actual forces that are shaping their intelligence agencies um, that has a lot to do with the same operation that killed Kennedy, that killed Kennedy's brother, Martin Luther King, and that took over increasing controls over so much of our way of life, both cultural policy, security, economic, everything. Nothing was untouched by that coup. And it was a coup that took over in the 1960s. Um, I hope that Trump can uh, can wisen up on some key points that he's been weak on. Um, obviously, when it comes to the warning around nuclear war, he's been one of the only voices that I've seen who has really come out clearly saying that uh, we need to do something about this. So hopefully that he could provide some good guidance um, to those who look up to him on on that point. But we'll we'll see. I, uh, I really think that people need to take a lot of responsibility at this point in crisis, though, and, and really do some serious mind work. And uh, and then follow suit with some some actual actions. Whether you're in Canada, Europe, Ireland, the USA, like citizens have some higher responsibilities that they didn't realize that they had. Very well said, Martin. It's all yours. Take us home. You're on. You're on. Oh, mute. You're on mute, Marty. Marty, you're on mute. Hang on. Yes. There you go. You're good. You're good. We uh, good. We all see the same monster. We all see the same elephant. I think it comes down to basically every individual putting whatever individual pressure and protests they can peacefully and legitimately, but overwhelmingly and repeatedly and never giving up on every politician. Every time any politician emerges in public, they should be questioned relentlessly on these key issues. They should be embarrassed again and again. These people are super sensitive and they are cowards. And if you uh, uh, press them enough peacefully, they will respond. But what one doesn't do so unconstitutionally or violently, that plays into the hands of of the forces of evil. But that's uh, the road I suggest is not an easy one. There's no guarantee of success, but it's the least worst one we've got. Yeah, and I would just say on that point, too, everyone has seen the effects of just that it's, it's now a completely super viral uh, intervention made by, I, I think it was yes. a to, to supporter um, on, on a, AOC, oh, which yeah. was just a breath of fresh air. And he just sort of said the thing everybody had deep inside their gut, but were afraid to, to say out loud. Yep. It's kind of like the, you know, the child in that, that story by, I guess it's Hans Christian Andersen. I'm not too sure. The, the emperor has no clothes. Is that, is that Hans Christian Andersen? Marty? Yes, I believe it is. Absolutely, Matt. 
Right. And that, that kid was able to just by putting that, that, that into words with the, you know, the, the, the fact that the empire, the emperor had paid money for a non-existent outfit um, that broke the spell and it was liberating and everybody was able to, to laugh legitimately at the truth of the absurdity of it all. And, and I think that again, we see this taken off. There's so there's, there's dozens of videos I've seen um, of excellent, excellent interventions on democratic party, nominal peacemakers, but who are supporting the war machine. And they've been called out as bullshit artists by their, their former support base. Um, and this is what has to just, you know, it's very peaceful. It's very, it's just saying the truth and it's holding your representatives accountable which is your right and duty even as a citizen. All of our, our us as citizens, if we're going to, to be considered not subjects of an oligarchy, but actual citizens, that comes with responsibility to, again, hold the feet to the fire of those who you had, who are nominally wishing to represent you in a time of crisis. So yeah, we got to all do that and, and run for office if, if possible. And, and really just, again, work at, uh, at the mind. The, the, this question of like, getting knowledge of the of the topography that you're operating within it's an invisible but but real topography that you can only see with the mind's eye which is full of it's like a it's a it's a minefield <laughs> it's literally a mind mind minefield of uh false narratives myths other things to deflect you they and you have to navigate through that towards the truth and as you do exactly that, you tap into some something that will give you a better insight onto how to do battle, where are the weak spots, where are the Achilles heels within this, you know, very intimidating looking, but actually very weak oligarchical machinery, which has been uh, holding on like a parasite onto humanity for thousands of years. And it's about time we burn it off. But again, in a peaceful way. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Uh, well I will, if I may add in full agreement with my good friend Matt Guys, uh, a, a, a definitive quote from my favorite documentary television series of the last 30 years. Documentary, I said, not fiction. The X-Files. The truth <laughs> is out there. Very well said, Martin. Very well Perfect. said. Perfect. Gentlemen, I want to thank all of you guys for being on with us at Rogue. Martin, I want to have you back on as a solo show. Uh, uh, let me know when you're available again. I'd love to link up with you. Uh, we have a lot of exciting other uh, future programs coming up. Uh, Matthew, again, it's a pleasure. Folks, uh, Martin, where can people yep. find you? And I think he... Uh... I'll fill that in. Mar Martin has a wonderful, wonderful uh, book. And uh, his website is... Uh, I'll, I'll share with you his website. Uh, sure. Maybe put in the description box of this video. Um, but Mark... Oh, you know what? Actually, I... It's, it's escaped me. I was just thinking about it, and I've forgotten what the name of his website is. Damn it. I'm going to send it to you by email, and you guys okay, yeah, we can have it later. Books. He's got like eight books that he's published. They're all excellent. Excellent. Very well said. Folks, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Folks, thank you so much for listening in. RogueNews.com, the original geopolitical, geostrategic, geoeconomic news show on YouTube. And with that being said, El Cuco, a.k.a. Latinx, take it away. Oh, wait, Martin's back. Don't take it away yet. I don't know if you killed the stream yet, Siege. It's still up. It's still up? Yeah. Martin, you want to add? Is, is Martin out? It was a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you, Martin. God bless you guys. Cheers. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs>